Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. If you have your Bible with you this morning, obviously you know I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Now for the fifth week in a row, we are visiting David in his prayer closet. And uh, if you haven't been tracking with us, you can go back and subscribe to the Faith Assembly Church podcast. Or you can find our YouTube channel and go back and catch up on this series of messages because I think it's vitally important for us. Uh, because I believe that the Lord is calling us to uh, a deeper walk in Him. And you know, it's hard to get beyond the surface when we are continually vacillating from hot and cold, uh, up and down, back and forth. We need to be steady in the Lord. We need to be steady in our walk with the Lord. We need to be steady in our life of faith. And as we, as we take step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, our faith begins to build and mature and we become stronger in the Lord than we ever have been in our lives. Amen. So we're, we're talking about this series, Revived. And uh, today, again, we're going to jump back, in, as I said, into David's prayer closet here. The last several weeks, we've been checking in with David as he's been pouring out his heart to the Lord in a restorative moment in his life. Uh, the context for this, I remind you, is David, after being confronted by the prophet Nathan, after he had committed a couple of really egregious sins in his life, one, the act of adultery with Bathsheba, and two, the, the, uh, the ensuing murder of her, of her husband Uriah. And uh, so he's, he's confronted by the prophet. That's the picture of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and calling things to our attention that need to be dealt with. And here we've been visiting with David as he's in the process of dealing with this sin in his life. And from these reviews of this moment in David's life, we've learned some valuable lessons or been reminded of some valuable lessons that uh, are necessary for us to live a revived life, beginning with the confession of sins, continuing with expressing a confidence in God that, Lord, we're not able to do this on our own. We can't make it in our own strength, but we need you. And our reliance, our trust is in you, God, because where, where our strength runs out, we've just there begun to find the continuance of your strength that is made perfect in our weakness. Because we've, sometimes we, church, we've got to get to the end of ourselves before we can recognize the beginning of where God has taken control. We're, we're real quick to give ourselves credit for something that maybe God is doing. So uh, David is here, he's at the end of himself, and he says, hey, I, I realize I can't do this on my own, so Lord, I, I need you. And David is also having his mind renewed in the presence of the Lord and meditating on the Word and meditating on the truth of God. And he's allowing the Lord here to challenge things in his life that will change things at the core of his being. This is where we left off with David last week as he prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Not, not, Lord, just help me do the right things, but God, help me be 
the person that you want me to be, that you have designed and intended for me to be. And there's a vast difference, people of God, between doing things that are Christian and being Christ-like at the heart of who we are. So here we are again, and today we focus on part of David's prayer that we absolutely must not overlook. We cannot overlook this. Uh, I've said several times throughout this series, but it bears repeating. The truths outlined in this psalm are not merely how-to steps by which you and I will obtain our own righteousness. They are these things that we're, we're looking at here, this, this repentance, this submissiveness this reliance expression of reliance on the Lord these are assumptions of a posture that will position us in such a way that we can begin to see God do greater things in our lives it's it's a positioning in the presence of the Lord wherein sin is dealt with pride is being crushed Carnal thoughts have been challenged and we're waiting here yielded before the Lord and still in His presence. And the purpose of all of this is that we might live a revived life. Now I want to encourage you with this thought before we progress here that sometimes the reservation of our spiritual life and experience is kept for Sunday morning. For an appointed time and an appointed place at a specific geographical location, we, we reserve our spiritual exercises for this moment. And I'm here to encourage you today that there are more contexts in which God can move in our heart than just right here, right now. There, there's a purpose for the right here and right now, but the purpose for the right here and right now is much grander than just what God's doing in me individually. It's what God wants to do among us corporately as we as individuals pursue Him and then we come together as a collective sum total for God to work and move through us in ways that we couldn't accomplish on our own. But God needs to be working in your life not just on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week. Every day that you live needs to be a new day that you have experienced the presence and the goodness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it could happen at church. It could happen at home. It could happen at a connect group. It could happen at a men's or women's gathering. And it, it will not, however, happen wherever it happens outside of the presence of the Lord. Regardless of where it does happen, it is imperative that we find time and make the space to set ourselves aside to encounter the presence of the living God. Next we hear David pray this all-important prayer and we're reminded that in order to live a revived life, it is required that you and I spend time in the presence of the Lord. And David prays, do not cast me away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I, I don't know about you, but every time I read that verse in particular, not just for this series, but for years, 
Every time I read that verse, I feel such a heaviness in my spirit as I consider the contemplation of having been shut out of the presence of God. As I consider just just the heavens being as brass and not knowing the presence of Almighty God in my life. It's a, it's, a, it's a dark, it's a daunting thought just to think that, that we would live void of the presence of God. Yet there are many. There are many in this generation, there are many in society, there are many even in the church who forfeit the opportunity that is ours through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to enter in with boldness into the presence of God to make our petitions known, to have our hearts renewed, to have our minds restored, and to walk in the victory that Jesus came for us to have. There's a mistaken understanding that I believe many hold that the end goal of salvation is to make heaven our home. I I said that, that I believe there's a mistaken understanding among many that the end goal of salvation is simply to make heaven our home. Here's what I believe. I believe there are many people that get saved on the premise that they choose heaven over hell as a, as the place they would like to spend their eternity and many people would gladly choose salvation without a savior many people would gladly choose heaven void of the presence of god just because it seems like a cushy bougie place to live throughout all eternity But God didn't send his son to die for you and I so that we could get to live in a cushy place for all of eternity. The major problem in the garden with the fall of man was not that our eternal address had changed. What was broken in the garden with the fall of Adam and Eve was the fellowship between created human beings, you and I, and their loving, eternal, all-powerful, loving precious gracious heavenly father broken fellowship was the issue and when you leave this world the point of going to heaven is not that it's a nicer place than the alternatives the point of going to heaven is that that's where our Lord is As a matter of fact, Jesus said, listen, heaven is is an amazing, don't don't misunderstand me, heaven is an amazing byproduct of redemption's plan. But Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. (laughs) If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is there and he's preparing a place for us, but the operative word, the operative phrase in this verse is not that Jesus is there preparing a place. The place is prepared for us, but that it's in his father's house. It's not just some random place off in the wild blue yonder, but it is in the father's house. 
It is in the eternal abode of God that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and I. It just so happens that our Heavenly Father has wonderful accommodations, but the emphasis is upon the fact that we get to be where He is for eternity. The point of going to heaven is that this is where the Lord is. I want to read you a lengthy passage of Scripture here that kind of describes a little bit about heaven's splendor, but then it gets to the crux of the matter, and we find it in Revelation chapter 21. John is here speaking about this great revelation that he'd been given, and he says, then, he says this, Then one of the seven angels who... Uh, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and he talked with me saying come and I will show you the bride the lamb's wife and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me a great the great city holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having having the glory of God her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper as clear as crystal Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel on three gates to the east, three gates to the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the walls of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And the city is laid out four square, its length and its uh, great, as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. And then he measured its walls, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, right? We're we're all familiar with this so far, right? Right? Streets of gold, walls of pure jasper, gates of pearl, all that. and, And when we talk about heaven, oftentimes those are the things that we reference. Right? Streets of gold, walls of jasper, all of this precious adornment that's there. And that, don't, don't get me wrong, there, it, it is amazing. It is so indescribable, I believe, for the human language that John is struggling here to give us similitudes. To say, here, here's a, precious things is all I can describe it as. So it's, it's like these things, if you can imagine these things, but better. And it is absolutely amazing. But then John makes this observation and he says, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now you've got to understand in John's context, the temple was representative of the place where the presence of God dwelt. You didn't experience God outside the courts of the temple. He was there, and as a matter of fact, the common man, you and me, couldn't even go and enter into the presence of the Lord. But here John says there is no temple. The first thing he notices, there is no temple because God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city had no need of sun nor of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is its light. No need for the sun, no need for the moon. The God Almighty, His glory, His radi- the radiance of His glory illuminates heaven. Whatever you think you've known of the glory of God here is nothing in comparison to the glory of God that will be known when we behold Him as He is. John wrote to the church and said, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I'm telling you, church, that the day that we see him as he is, what a day it'll be. Not because we've trod streets of gold, not because we've beheld the pearls of the gates of pearl or the walls of jasper, but because we have seen God in the fullness of his glory, the full radiance of his beauty. That's going to be the prize, church. And Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins so that there could be restoration of fellowship between a holy God and sinful man. This was evidence when Jesus died. As a matter of fact, this, this temple that John spoke of, the temple that we've illustrated with, uh, th- there was that separation there. There were the outer courts, there were the inner courts, and then there was the holy place and the holy of holies. And, and there was a separator, there was a divider between the, the holy place and the, and the rest of the temple courtyards where only the high priest could go into at a certain time, at, the, at an appointed time and season. He could enter therein after all of the right criteria had been met finally this one man could go in as a mediator and represent those who were on the outside in the presence of God yes he bore stripes for our healing the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed right he has borne our iniquities He's carried our griefs and our sorrows, so all that. There's, there's victory in Jesus, there's freedom from sin, and all those things. But I want to tell you something, the most telling thing about the death of Jesus happened after he hung his head and said, Lord, it is, Father, it is finished. In Mark chapter 15, 38, records these words, and it says, the veil, that, that peace that separated the common man from the presence of Almighty God, it says the the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top all the way to the bottom, signifying that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you and I have righteousness now, and we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find the help that we need in the time of trouble. Here's the great news for you and I today. This is not just something for you and I to experience after we die. The presence of God is not just something for us to experience after we die. The psalmist was a man, the same same psalmist who's praying here, Lord, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, what he's saying is, God, I know I've sinned, and I know that sin is a separator between you and me. It, it, build, it fixes a gulf between us. 
But God, I I need you to cleanse me. I need you to purge me. I need you to wash me and make me whiter than snow and remove my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. And, And Lord, please, please, please don't take your presence away from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David wrote earlier in life, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire at his temple. For in the time of trouble, why? Why? What benefit? What value? That's that's what everybody wants to know in this generation, isn't it? Why do I want to come to church? Why do I want to do this? What what benefit? What value? How How does it help me? Here it is. If you want to know why you need to spend time in the presence of the Lord, for in the time of trouble, he'll hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle and I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Do you understand what the psalmist is saying here? He's saying that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait in the presence of the Lord with an ardent expectation that when trouble besets my life, that I, I, in the presence of the Lord, am going to be established on a rock, immovable, unshakable in the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I shall not be moved. Therefore, I'm going to bless him. You know, sometimes we can only bless the Lord when everything's going our way. But the psalmist said, if we, just, if we just stay there in the presence of the Lord, if we dwell right there in the presence of Jehovah, that even when the hard time comes, we'll be able to lift our hands and praise the Lord, have a song of joy in our heart, have a spring in our step, and be able to say, you know what, I know it's going to be all right, because greater is he that's on the inside of me than he that's in this world anyway. It doesn't matter. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I've been made more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. You can't tell me nothing when I'm hiding in the presence presence of my Savior. Psalm 42, the psalmist said, as the deer, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, Lord. I'm thirsty for you. I'm thirsty. God, fill us. Fill us, Lord, with a spiritual thirst. Fill us, God, with an insatiable hunger that Netflix will never satisfy, that material goods will never fulfill, but, Lord, will only be satisfied in your presence, oh God. Why was David so pursuing of the presence of the Lord? Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely he, is, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at the noonday. A thousand shall fall by your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. 
in the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for that today, church? Aren't you thankful today that, that you have a refuge in this, in this world that you and I live in with all of the stuff that's going on around us? That we have a refuge, we have a, we have a place of safety, we have a, we have a shelter in the time of storm, and it's to run. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they shall be saved. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I'll invite you to stand. And I want to share with you from the prophet Isaiah and hopefully encourage you today to find space in life and find some space even in this moment. To entertain and wait. I'm reminded in the preparation of this, of this message of Jesus on the occasion that he went to visit his friends you know them well. It's a man by the name of Lazarus, his sisters Mary and Martha. And while Martha rushed about the house and concerned herself with many cares, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and just waited in the presence of the Lord. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe life's strain for you is heavy. Maybe you too are cumbered about with a lot of care. Maybe you're burdened today. I want to tell you that it's better. It's better at the feet of Jesus. It's better in the presence of the Lord. We can strive, we can strain, we can struggle. We can do everything that we want to do, but the day that we learn how to lay it all at the feet of Jesus and just sit and wait in his presence, we'll find refreshment, we'll find restoration, and we will live a revived life that we've only ever dreamt of. The prophet Isaiah says, have you not known have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint 
We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.